Chapter thirty five of the first violin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The first violin by Jesse Fothergill. Chapter thirty five. Allein, allein, und so soll ich genesen. Allein, allein, und das des Schicksals segen. Allein, allein, o oh Gott, ein einzig Wesen, um dieses Haupt an seine Brust zu legen. I had a sharp, if not long, attack of illness, which left me weak, shaken, passive so that i felt neither ability nor wish to resist those who took me into their hands i remember being surprised at the goodness of every one toward me astonished at frau lutzler's gentle kindness amazed at the unfailing goodness of dr middendorf and his wife at that of the medical man who attended me in my illness yes the world seemed full of kindness full of kind people who were anxious to keep me in it and who managed in spite of my effort to leave it to retain me dr middendorf the oculist had been my guardian angel it was he who wrote to my friends and told them of my illness it was he who went to meet stella and miss hallam's merrick who came over to nurse me and take me home the fiat had gone forth i was to go home i made no resistance but my very heart shrunk away in fear and terror from the parting till one day something happened which reconciled me to going home or rather made me evenly and equally indifferent whether i went home or stayed abroad or lived or died or in short what became of me i sat one afternoon for the first time in an armchair opposite the window it was june and the sun streamed warmly and richly in the room was scented with a bunch of wallflowers and another of mignonette which stella had brought in that morning from the market stella was very kind to me but in a superior patronizing way i had always felt deferentially backward before the superior abilities of both my sisters but stella quite overawed me by her decided opinions and calm way of setting me right upon all possible matters this afternoon she had gone out with merrick to enjoy a little fresh air i was left quite alone with my hands in my lap feeling very weak and looking wistfully toward the well-remembered windows on the other side of the street i could see inside the room no one was there friedhelm and eugen had gone out no doubt the door of my room opened and frau lutschler came in she looked cautiously around and then having ascertained that i was not asleep asked in a nerve-disturbing whisper if i had everything that i wanted everything thank you frau lutschler said i but come in i want to speak to you i am afraid i have given you no end of trouble ach ich bitte sie fräulein don't mention the trouble we have managed to keep you alive how they all did rejoice in having won a victory over that grey-winged angel death i thought to myself with a curious sensation of wonder you are very kind i said and i want you to tell me something Lutzler. how long have i been ill fourteen days fraulein little as you may think it indeed i have heard nothing about anyone in that time who has been made music director in place of herr von francis Lutzler folded her arms and composed herself to tell me a history yeah fraulein the post would have been offered to herr courvoisier only 
you see he has turned out a good for nothing but perhaps you heard about that oh yes i heard all about it said i hastily as i passed my handkerchief over my mouth to hide the sound of pain which contracted it of course considering that the direction could not offer it to him so they proposed it to herr helfen you know herr helfen fräulein nicht i nodded a good young man a worthy young man and so popular with his companions aber denken sie nur the authorities might have been offering him an insult instead of a good post he refused it then and there would not stop to consider about it in fact he was quite angry about it the gentleman who was chosen at last was a stranger from hanover helfen refused it why do you know they say because he was so fond of herr courvoisier and would not be set above him it may be so i know for a certainty that so far from taking part against herr courvoisier he would not even believe the story against him though he could not deny it and did not try to deny it aber fräulein what hearts men must have to have lived three years and let the world think him an honest man when all the time he had that on his conscience schrecklich adelaide and courvoisier it seemed might almost be pelted with the same stones his wife they say died of grief at the discourse yes said i wincing i could not bear this any longer nor to discuss courvoisier with frau lutzler and the words his wife uttered in that speculatively gossiping tone repelled me she turned the subject to helfen again Herr Helfen must indeed have loved his friend, for when Herr Courvoisier went away, he went with him. Herr Courvoisier is gone, I inquired, in a voice so like my usual one that I was surprised. Yes, certainly he is gone. I don't know where, I am sure. Perhaps they will return? Frau shook her head and smiled slightly. Nay, Fräulein their places were filled immediately they are gone ganz und gar i tried to listen to her tried to answer her as she went on giving her opinions upon men and things but the effort collapsed suddenly i had at last to turn my head away and close my eyes and in that weary weary moment i prayed to god that he would let me die and wondered again and was almost angry with those who had nursed me for having done their work so well we have managed to save you Lutzler had said save me from what and for what i knew the truth as i sat there it was quite too strong and too clear to be laid aside or looked upon with doubtful eyes i was fronted by a fact humiliating or not a fact which i could not deny it was bad enough to have fallen in love with a man who had never showed me by word or sign that he cared for me but exactly and pointedly the reverse but now it seemed the man himself was bad too surely a well-regulated mind would have turned away from him uninfluenced if so then mine was an ill-regulated mind i had loved him from the bottom of my heart the world without him felt cold empty and bare 
desolate to live in and shorn of its sweetest pleasures he had influenced me he influenced me yet i still felt the words true the greatest soul that draweth thee hath left his shadow plain to see on thy fair face persephone he had bewitched me i did not feel capable of making a fool of myself for his sake i did feel that life by the side of any other man would be miserable though never so richly set and that life by his side would be full and complete though never so poor and sparing in its circumstances i make no excuses no apologies for this state of things it simply was so gone and friedhelm with him i should probably never see either of them again i have made a mess of my life adelaide had said and i felt that i might chant the same dirge a fine ending to my boasted artistic career i thought of how i had sat and chatted so amiably to courvoisier in the cathedral at cologne and had little known how large and how deep a shadow his influence was to cast over my life i still retained the habit of occasionally kneeling by my bedside and saying my prayers and this night i felt the impulse to do so i tried to thank god for my recovery i said the lord's prayer it is a universal petition and thanksgiving it did not too nearly touch my woes it allowed itself to be said but when i came to something nearer tried to say a thanksgiving for blessings and friends who yet remained my heart refused my tongue cleaved to my mouth alas i was not regenerate i could not thank god for what had happened i found myself thinking of the pity aunt and crying most bitterly till tears streamed through my folded fingers and whispering oh if i could only have died while i was so ill no one would have missed me and it would have been so much better for me in the beginning of july stella merrick and i returned to england to skernford home i parted in silent tears from my trusted friends the middendorfs who begged me to come and stay with them at some future day the anguish of leaving elberthor did not make itself fully felt at first that remained to torment me at a future day and soon after our return came printed in large type in all the newspapers declaration of war between france and germany mine was among the hearts which panted and beat with sickening terror in england while the dogs of war were fastened in deathly grip abroad my time at home was spent more with miss hallam than in my own home i found her looking much older much feebler and much more subdued than when she had been in germany she seemed to find some comfort from my society and i was glad to devote myself to her but for her i should never have known all those pains and pleasures which bitter though their remembrance might be were and ever would be to me the dearest thing of my life miss hallam seemed to know this she once asked me would i return to germany if i could yes said i i would to say that i found life dull in skernford even at that time would be untrue miss hallam was a furious partisan of the french and i dared not mention the war to her but i took in the daily news from my private funds and read it in my bedroom every night with dimmed eyes 
fast-coming breath and beating heart i knew knew well that eugen must be fighting unless he were dead and i knew too by some intuition founded i suppose on many small negative evidences unheeded at the time that he would fight not like the other men who were battling for the sake of hearth and home and sheer love and pride for the fatherland but as one who has no home and no fatherland as one who seeks a grave not as one who combats a wrong stella saw the pile of newspapers in my room and asked me how i could read those dreary accounts of battles and bombardments beyond these poor newspapers i had during the sixteen months that i was at home but scant tidings from without i had implored clara steinmann to write to me now and then and tell me the news of elberthorn but her penmanship was of the most modest and retiring description and she was too so desperately excited about karl as to be able to think scarce of anything else karl belonged to a landwehr regiment which had not yet been called out but to which the frightful contingency might happen any day and what should she clara do in that case she told me no news she lamented over the possibility of karl's being summoned upon active service it was she said grausam schrecklich it made her almost faint to write about it and yet she did compose four whole pages in that condition the barrack she informed me was turned into a hospital and she and tante both worked hard there was much work dreadful work to do such poor groaning fellows to nurse Herr gott cried poor little clara i did not know that the world was such a dreadful place everything was so dear so frightfully dear and karl that was the burden of her song might have to go into battle any day also through the public papers i learnt that adelaide and sir peter le marchand were divided for ever as to what happened afterward i was for some time in uncertainty longing most intensely to know not daring to speak of it adelaide's name was the signal for a cold stare from stella and angry indignant expostulation from miss hallam to me it was a sorrowful spell which i carried in my heart of hearts one day i saw in a german musical periodical which i took in this announcement Herr musikmeister max von francius in dash 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 readers note that's all that's written has lately published a new symphony in b minor the productions of this gifted composer are slowly but most surely making the mark which they deserve to leave in the musical history of our nation he has we believe left dash 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 for dash 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 for a few weeks to join his lady seine gemahlin who is one of the most active and valuable hospitable nurses of that town now alas little else than a hospital this paragraph set my heart beating wildly adelaide was then the wife of von francius my heart yearned from my solitude toward them both why did not they write they knew how i loved them adelaide could not suppose that i looked upon her deed with the eyes of the world at large with the eyes of stella or miss hallam had i not grieved with her had i not seen the dreadful struggle had i not proved the nobility of von francius on an impulse i seized pen and paper and wrote to adelaide addressing my letter under cover to her husband at the town in which he was music-meister 
to him i also wrote only a few words is your pupil forgotten by her master he has never been forgotten by her at last the answer came on the part of adelaide it was short dear may i have had no time till now to answer your letter i cannot reply to all your questions you ask whether i repent what i have done i repent my whole life if i am happy how can i be happy i am busy now and have many calls upon my time my husband is very good he never interposes between me and my work shall i ever come to england again never yours a von f no request to write again no inquiry after friends or relations this letter showed me that whatever i might feel to her however my heart might beat and long how warm soever the love i bore her yet that adelaide was now apart from me divided in every thought it was a cruel letter but in my pain i could not see that it had not been cruelly intended her nature had changed but behind this pain lay comfort on the back of the same sheet as that on which adelaide's curt epistle was written were some lines in the hand i knew well liebe me they said forgive your master who can never forget you nor ever cease to love you you suffer i know it i read it in those short constrained lines so unlike your spontaneous words and frank smile my dear child remember the storms that are beating on every side over our country in all our hearts once i asked you to sing for me sometime you promised when the war is over i shall remind you of your promise at present believe me silence is best your old music master m v f gall and honey roses and thistles a dagger at the heart and a caress upon the lips such seemed to me the characters of these two letters on the same sheet which i held in my hand adelaide made my heart ache von francius made tears stream from my eyes i reproached myself for having doubted him but oh i treasured the proof that he was true it was the one tangible link between me reality and hard facts and the misty yet beloved life i had quitted my heart was full to overflowing i must tell someone i must speak to someone once again i tried to talk to stella about adelaide but she gazed at me in that straight strange way and said coldly that she preferred not to speak of that i could not speak to miss hallam about it alone in the broad meadows beside the noiseless river i sometimes whispered to myself that i was not forgotten and tried to console myself with the feeling that what von francius promised he did i should touch his hand hear his voice again and adelaide's for the rest i had to lock the whole affair my grief and my love my longing and my anxiety fast within my own breast and did so it was a long lesson a hard one it was conned with bitter tears wept long and alone in the darkness it was a sorrow which lay down and rose up with me it taught or rather practised me until i became expert in them certain things in which i had been deficient reticence self-reliance a quick ability to decide in emergencies it certainly made me feel old and sad 
and Miss Hallam often said that Stella and I were as quiet as nuns. Stella had the power which I so ardently coveted. She was a first-rate instrumentalist. The only topic she and I had in common was the music I had heard and taken part in. To anything concerning that she would listen for hours. Meanwhile the war rolled on and Paris capitulated, and peace was declared. The spring passed, and Germany laughed in glee, and bleeding France roused herself to look with a haggard eye around her. What she saw we all know, desolation and mourning and woe. And summer glided by, and autumn came, and I did not write either to Adelaide or von Francius. I had a firm faith in him and absolute trust. I felt I was not forgotten. In less than a year after my return to England, Miss Hallam died. The day before her death, she called me to her and said words which moved me very much. Me, I am an eccentric old woman and lest you should be in any doubt upon the subject of my feelings toward you i wish to tell you that my life has been more satisfactory to me ever since i knew you that is much more praise than i deserve miss hallam no it isn't i like both you and stella three months ago i made a codicil to my will by which i endeavoured to express that liking it is nothing very brilliant but i fancy it will suit the views of both of you utterly astonished i stammered out some incoherent words there don't thank me said she if i were not sure that i shall die to-morrow or thereabouts i should put my plan into execution at once but i shall not be alive at the end of the week her words proved true grim sardonic and cynical to the last she died quietly gladly closing her eyes which had so long been sightless she was sixty-five years old and had lived alone since she was five and twenty the codicil to her will which she had spoken of with so much composure left three hundred pounds to stella and me she wished a portion of it to be devoted to our instruction in music vocal and instrumental at any german conservatorium we might select she preferred that of l readers note that is all that is written until we were of age our parents or guardians saw to the dispensing of the money after that it was our own half belonging to each of us we might either unite our funds or use them separately as we choose it need scarcely be said that we both chose that course which she indicated stella's joy was deep and intense mine had an unavoidable sorrow mingled with it at the end of september eighteen o one we departed for germany and before going to l it was agreed that we should pay a visit at elberthal to my friend dr middendorf it was a gusty september night with wind dashing angrily about and showers of rain flying after the gale on which i once again set foot in elberthal the place i had thought never more to see End of chapter thirty five